Welcome to America's Top Rabbitons. May this class be for Rafua Shalema, for Lior Tovia, Benhaya Ashna, and also for Hava Leah Badgittel. If you would like to sponsor a podcast, please email us at atrebitsons at gmail.com. I'm so happy to have on today's show, Rebitson Leah Goldstein. Rebitson Leah is a principal at Dera Hatora in Rochester, New York. In addition to being a principal, Rebitson Leah is a mother, a teacher, and a mixed martial arts practitioner. Wow, that sounds really interesting. Please tell us more about yourself and what you do. Thanks. So, um, yeah, it's not exactly the way I'm usually introduced, but uh, <laughs> I guess it's accurate. So, yeah, I'm my, my kid's mom, my husband's wife, my grandchildren's bubby. My student's principal, my faculty's best cheerleader, <laughs> and my parents' daughter. My mother, by the way, is a real top Robinson. But um, yeah, so the mixed martial arts thing just kind of happened many, many years ago, and it's uh, something I love to do. But um, yeah, I'm really excited to be on here. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. I appreciate it. Today, today we're really... You're the perfect person for this topic, so I'm just so excited about it. Um, so I understand, first of all, you're writing a book written from school principal's point of view on how to help parents avoid disastrous mistakes with their children. And that sounds like it's going to be an incredibly helpful book to parents everywhere. I, I personally am, am excited about it. <laughs> um, can you please um, share us a little bit about your book and about the key issues that it will address? Sure. So, so the book is kind of temporarily on hold as I'm finishing my doctorate, but I've really made a lot of progress on it already. I, I think that I think there'll be 12 chapters. And uh, as you mentioned, the book is called something like uh, like you did what a principal's guide to help parents you know, avoid disastrous disastrous mistakes. And it's not you know, meant to like, I don't know, bash or humiliate parents at all. It, it's it's purpose is to guide people on the path to becoming wonderful, capable, happy parents. And I, I guess I want to say that I was a parent for 16 years and a teacher for 17 years, although most of that overlapped, before I became a principal, uh, which I've been doing for 18 years now. And during those years, I, I, I guess I learned a tremendous amount and I made quite a few parenting errors. And you'd figure, you know, I'd be like, I should be a perfect parent from the get-go, right? Because I have, I have wonderful parents, great role models, I'm a teacher, I took all these pedagogical courses, you know, child development theories, the whole thing, you know, Erickson, Skinner, Piaget, Watson. But bottom line was, I was not a perfect parent. And like 33 years in, I'm still not a perfect parent. <laughs> Nobody, and none I, of us are. Exactly, because I don't think such a thing really exists. You know, you, you, parenting is one of the hardest jobs in the world. And you know, you think you've got it down, you're patting yourself on the back for a job well done and the next challenge arises, you know? So mm -hmm. I think that as prepared as you think you are for parenting, you're not prepared. And while it's probably the hardest job in the world, it's also the most rewarding. Yes. So, um, you know, I, I guess the reason I'm really writing the book is we always try to save our, our kids from making the mistakes we made, like don't touch the fire. Right. But usually they don't comprehend the message until the first time they accidentally touch something hot, feel pain and say to themselves in whatever primitive form, even if they can't talk yet, oh, that hurts. I'm going to make sure not to touch hot things anymore. So children kind of need to combine the words, the concepts into action to create meaning. Right. They need experience in order to learn it. But as adults, what if we could just like 
use our reasoning skills and what's shared with us to understand, like, do we really have to make all these destructive parenting mistakes ourselves? What if someone who cares about you, okay, ideally not your mother or mother-in-law, right? But <laughs> they show you how to avoid these common painful pitfalls. That'd be great, right? So that's yeah. kind of why I'm writing the book. For sure. That's beautiful. That well, and since we're talking about your book, let's let's see if we can go a little bit more in depth. And I want to see if you can please share with us maybe a quick synopsis about a chapter or two of the book that um, that you're writing about, you know, just like maybe give us some practical pointers on tips that we as parents can use to avoid making those disastrous mistakes. Sure. So I guess I uh, I might <laughs> get into it a little, a little too much. So just, you know, once I'm given free reign, it's a little dangerous. So stop me at any point. Okay. <laughs> um, really, I'm, I won't be insulted. That's the other thing about, you know, being a principal that you just have to have really tough skin. So there's like nothing really anyone can say that would insult me, you know? <laughs> no, it's all so, good. Uh, We're excited to hear. <laughs> all right. Thanks. So I, I guess one of them is really the, uh, the, the issue of parents who are afraid to parent, like they're okay with the noun, but not the verb, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, you know, they're kind of afraid of saying no, because they're afraid that they're precious increasingly indulged child, I guess I should say, is going to be angry at them. Yes. And they, you know, think how can they properly gently point their child in the right direction without actually having saying anything that could be construed as criticism. You know what I mean? Yes. And I guess I kind of, when I talk to parents about this, I sort of do it almost as a checklist. Like, do you always find yourself making excuses for your children? Um, do your children really rule the house with an iron fist, you know what I mean? Like who, who's, who's the boss in your household? Do you avoid saying no at all costs? Right. You know, and when your child starts to like, to, starts to melt down, do you scurry off to do your little master's bidding? <laughs> you know what I mean? So if you answer yes to those questions and think, well, like what choice do I have? You know, if I, if I don't do this, then little Jaime's going to have a fit in the middle of the grocery store or at their grandparents' <laughs> house during Yentif, you know, like, so, so parents, it, it's a difficult kind of situation because we want to raise self-confident, capable people, and we want to try, try to train them to, to be assertive and to advocate for themselves. But at the same time, I think it's really important. I, I guess the main theme is that anyone who understands children will tell you that kids don't really want to be able to push their parents around. It terrifies them. They, yes. they crave structure. They need to know where the lines are. And they test repeatedly because they're looking for those lines. And, right. you know, it's a foolish parent who delegates control of the asylum to the inmates. <laughs> that's, that's really what it is, right? I, Very I, well put, yes. <laughs> right. One of my kids used to say, you hate me, Ma. That's why you won't let me, you know, whatever, fill in the blanks. A lot of different iterations on that theme. And, of course, we love her and continue to love her. And she knew that. But she used that strategy like in kind of, I think really ultimately it was like a well thought out attempt to accomplish, first of all, making sure that we love her unconditionally because we always respond with sweetheart, of course we love you. If we hated you, we wouldn't say no, you know, something like that. Right. And also she wanted to test our resolve to determine if we could be worn down. And finally, I think uh, to make us feel guilty. Yeah. Right. Yes. <laughs> so, you know, they do these testings. They want to see where the lines are, are drawn. And I guess I, I want to encourage parents and and finish this chapter. But the idea of standing firm, 
surrendering to terrorist demands, you know, really doesn't work. You know what I mean? And kids are smart. So they say to themselves, hey, I threw a tantrum. It worked. My parents gave in. So I guess these negative, nasty behaviors get me what I want every single time. <laughs> so I, I guess I encourage parents to, to have that backbone, to do what they need to do. And, uh, you know, we all want peaceful lives. And yes. that I think can be achieved if you live alone on a desert island. Right, exactly. When you're a parent <laughs> in the thick of it with, with young children, even with teenagers, it's really, it's really, really challenging. Right, right. But, you know, I think the bottom line is that, that, that giving into appeasing a little dictator does not create peace. You know, you see historically the, the uh, dictator's thirst for aggression, for yeah. dominance, right? For more and more power. <laughs> exactly. So as you know, you can see that, oh, I'm running the show. I'm going to keep doing what I need to run the show. Right. So that's, uh, I guess, what I, one, one of the, the big themes and probably the first chapter of my book. You know what I mean? I love it. It's such an important concept. It really, really is. Like parents really need to feel strong and confident within themselves in order to be the best parents they could be for their children. And I do agree with you. Children really need to have limits set for them. They need to have boundaries set for them, you know, um, not only for themselves, you know, at the moment as children, but also as they move into adulthood, they need to learn what a boundary is. And, you know, you can't go past that boundary. And it also helps for themselves personally so they can set boundaries for themselves as they get older, they don't want to become an adult who's a shmata. You know, they have to set boundaries for themselves to protect themselves as they grow older also. So it's really, um, it's really important for many, many reasons. So thank you. Thank you for sharing that tip. Is there another one? I know that was one of your chapters. Can you talk to us maybe about another chapter? This is great. Um, sure, sure. I have uh, one that I've been working on. Um, I, I'm having fun with the titles. You know, I like fun, fun titles. So yeah. something along the lines of like Bob the Builder, can we fix it? You know, like helicopter parents who are overprotective. And uh, I, I guess with it's there's good news and bad news for helicopter parents. Okay. Because they're always hovering over and sheltering their kids and protecting them from any adversity or stress. Yes. So I guess the good news is that kids with helicopter parents have a real competitive edge against their peers. They have dedicated personal assistants who take care of everything. So they're, for example, science fair projects are going to be perfect. They forget their homework or an important paper or anything. Their dutiful parents will deliver it right to school, right? They have private chauffeurs ready to drive them whenever there's any issue anywhere they need to go. So they, they kind of have an advantage because they have these fixers that yeah. make sure that everything is good. The bad news is that I guess the helicopter parents who are constantly shielding and protecting their children, the, the kids become dependent and it, it stunts their emotional growth. And I see this over and over again, that kids, these kids don't know how to work through problems. They don't know how to come up with their own solutions to things. And, and they don't even know how to react when they experience frustration because the Bob, the big builder, we could fix it. Parents come rushing in in the flash to fix the problem. Right. So, you know, I, my, my son-in-law was working on his master's in psychology and I was talking to him about this concept and he referred me to this book, a great work by a guy named Sean Grover. And he, he has a whole thing about helicopter parenting, you know, and, and fixing things. And he, he talks about how we rob the children of growth 
opportunities. And, and there's like an actual gap in their emotional development. You know, it was a re really interesting read. So I guess I would really encourage parents to let their children experience frustration, obviously not terrible, inappropriate, develop, you know, developmentally inappropriate frustration, but they need to learn to come up with their own solutions. And if you go in saving the day every single time, it's, it's really damaging for them. And, you know, I guess what I, I was going to say is that the world is a frightening kind of place if you don't have the skills to deal with problems that you're going to be faced with. And these overparented kids are, you know, they become adults and they usually have lower self-esteem and they have a sense of entitlement and they just don't know how to deal in the world and how to function. So. Which is scary. That it is really, really scary. If you grow up, you know, and as an adult, and that it's your time. Like there's nobody. Your fixtures aren't there anymore, and it's it's up to you. And you have to sink or swim. And you're looking around, relying on people. Wait a minute. This is strange. Nobody's coming to my rescue. It's really, really difficult because you have to either sink or swim. And it's really, really, really difficult to swim if you're not used to it. If you don't have those skills built up exactly. from childhood. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And you know, like as a loving parent, it's really hard to watch your kids make mistakes. And it's yeah. so, it's so painful to, you know, like to see it when they're rejected and, and it's, it's, it's terrible. It's so hard to watch them fail, but you know, if you stand by with the tissues and the band-aids and you know, you, you, you help band-aids for their egos and their knees and, and whatever else, but uh, you know, you just don't make them, it's so important not to make the mistake of, of stepping in to solve to save them from not natural consequences. You know what I mean? You need to help them build that strength of character and that mental toughness. And you need some of that yourself in order to be able to let them do that. Exactly. For sure. For sure. And it's on exactly on that note, I understand that um, you're also passionate about raising strong, confident girls who will hopefully grow up to be strong, confident women. Can you please give us some practical tools that we can put into place right now in order to help instill resilience and self-esteem in our daughters? Sure. Yeah, that's, um, <laughs> I was recently trying to console a friend who was really distraught over her relationship with her teenagers. And uh, I found this cute quote, I'm trying to remember exactly what, something along the lines of, I want my children to be independent, strong people, just not while I'm raising them. <laughs> <laughs> that's the challenge. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I, I think building self-esteem in a child is definitely a complicated process, but I think in a way it's really very basic also. And I, I, I could break it down into, I was going to say three, but it's really two parts. Okay. So the first one is if a child feels valued and secure, then they, they develop a positive sense of self. If a parent shows interest in their child's activities, then that child is more likely to be responsive. Yes. If a parent like gives their, their undivided attention to the child. And the child says to themselves, wow, I'm worthy of attention. And, you know, when, when parents and siblings speak to a child in, in a caring, respectful way, then the child says, oh, I'm worthy of respect. Wow. So, you know, I think that that's the first big piece, the, mm -hmm. the real, the real important messages that they slowly absorb. And I think the second piece is uh, kind of addressing a mistake that being fake doesn't work in building real self-esteem. The kids see right through it. You know, my father, I think one of the wisest people currently on this planet pointed this out to me years ago. He said, don't praise and make a big deal about accomplishments that are 
that are meaningless, that are trivial to the child. You know what I mean? And, and like, don't lavishly compliment attributes that, that they were born with, like their good looks. Right. You know what I'm saying? Because that, yeah. that's not truly who they are. And, you know, like, so I, I think the key is to genuinely compliment and recognize when uh, kids have worked hard. There was actually a really cool study I read about uh, five years ago uh, at a Stanford. They said that they took these fifth graders and they broke them into groups and, you know, they, they try, adjusted for everything, you know, so that it really would be two very, you know, even kind of groups. And they gave pretty basic, easy math problems to both groups. Mm-hmm. And the first group, when they solved these pretty basic problems, they said, wow, you're such geniuses. You guys are so smart, incredible, you know, using all these adjectives to uh, lavish praise on them. And then in the other group, instead of when they solved the problems, they said to them, wow, I see how hard you work. You guys think and you work hard. And that's a great attribute. Then they went back and gave both groups the same, much harder math problems, okay. right? Mm-hmm. So what happened? The group that of kids who were told that they were so smart, almost every one of them gave up after looking at it and seeing, oh, too hard. The group of children who were t- complimented on their effort, almost every one of them worked at the problems and so many of them got them right. Wow. And I, yeah, I found that fascinating because unearned praise or non-specific praise doesn't really build children's confidence for real. And often it's like, it creates a vicious cycle where they say, wait, so I'm really not smart because they just told me I was smart, but I can't even solve this problem. So I'm not. And you know, it, it does, it's worse than just fake. You know what I mean? It really undermines their sense of self. So the key is to, I think, to be genuine, to be on the lookout for authentic goodness catch your kids at it and then recognize and compliment that, you know, and then the Chovas Halavava says like, in order to have real self-worth and be tachon, you have to believe that Hashem loves you and you have to understand that you are worthy of love and respect. And then you have a strong sense of self because that's who you are. That's so beautiful. Like that's just, so beautiful and it's so meaningful and it's so true like it's so true everything that you that, that you said and I can see like you know we're all born with some natural talent some people are friendlier than others some people are better at math than others some people you know they're more talented on stage and they you know than others some people are funnier and we all have our own special skills but we were born with them and, you know it, it's still amazing that we have them and Hashem gave them to us and it's still fantastic but you know, what about those skills that we really have to work on? Like, I know speaking, you know, personally, I have one daughter who really struggles in math and another who really struggles in social studies. And my son, son really struggles in Gamara, you know? So these are the subjects that I would, I help them wherever I could help myself. I, you know, I did, and I sat, you know, and if I needed to hire a tutor, I did that. But the kids themselves, they worked really, really hard. And when they got a question, right. I mean, it was really something, it was really something right. for them to be proud of. And it was something for me as a parent to be proud of them because they put in the effort to achieve that, that growth that they did in those particular subjects that they studied, you know, they studied hard for, and they struggled with, and they overcame, like they really put in that effort. So um, I see Absolutely. exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. I, I guess specifically on the girls piece, cause I was more talking about the self-esteem concept, but yeah, I, I think in terms of our girls and uh, I don't know if this is uh, well, I'll just say it. 
I think it's really important to let them be themselves and, and capitalize upon their strengths and talents. Like I, I just, I feel sometimes like we crush them into a box and we force them to live by stereotypes. You, you reminded me of an example. Right? Okay. <laughs> so I, for so many years, I've been hearing usually from girls, I'm so bad at math. Yeah. I'm terrible at math, blah, blah. So when my second daughter was born, my older daughter was already in that I'm so bad at math thing. And I said, you know what? This child, because I always love math. I never had a problem. This, this next girl of mine is going to think she's great at math. And she will be because we're going to do that positively. And I generally try not to do psychological experiments with my kids, but I figured this is <laughs> fine because, you know, if it works, great. So from day one, we played math games, all kinds of stuff. Well, P.S., she's now a math teacher. Right? Wow. <laughs> <laughs> now, it could be that, you know, thank God the Lord gave her a great many great gifts and um, that would have been the case anyway. But I, I really think a lot of it has to do with letting with, with not letting girls limit themselves by what they think society is limiting them to. Thank you. That's really that's a very good point. Thank you. Thank you for sharing. And then along um, the idea of girls, you know, that we're talking about, you know, it, it, girls do have struggle, struggles in school. Um, you know, sometimes some in math and some in other subjects, but you know, there's so many occasions and circumstances where life is not ideal and a girl becomes sad and isolated and withdrawn from family and friends and, and life. You know, it could be something that that's going on with school. It could be academic struggles. It could be social struggles. It could be emotional struggles. It could be something that's happening in the dynamic of the family. I mean, really it could be anything. And those girls have an even more difficult time developing the strength and self-confidence that we've been talking about. So how can parents help a child who is suffering with depression or even anxiety to properly manage her emotions and to begin to develop a sense of self-worth? Wow, that's a tough one. Yeah. So, you know, I, I guess the real reason that um, I'm writing the book and working as a principal at an elementary school level is so we can catch all these little people before they hit those walls yeah. and, and crumble, you know, before they withdraw and become depressed. I, I think that there are a lot of great people out there who have my infinite respect who are working on addressing these problems. But I guess what I, what the message I would try to convey is that it's so important to be proactive and build up these children before they ever are at the point where they would go into crisis. Because mm -hmm. once they're in crisis, it's a whole different ball game and it's, it's just so hard and so tragic. And you're, you're trying to fix what has been, what's broken. And uh, if we can be there for our children and, and you know, we're, we're their first and most important teachers, yeah. Our, yeah. the parents, you know what I mean? And, and yeah, we delegate some responsibility to daycare providers and schools. But, you know, the bottom line is it's our job to mold this precious human being into a good, moral, productive, happy person. And, uh, you know, I think to the degree that we can really commit ourselves to that, we'll have much, much less of what you just, you know, mentioned. Right, right. To catch it at an early level, right. Um... So I have another very interesting question. And since you're a principal, I'm actually very curious about what your response would be from a principal's point of view and also as a parent, but, you know, I'm asking specifically as a principal. Sure. Um, 
you said something about, um, you know, letting kids be who they are and not trying to box them in into what society wants. I totally agree. But what if like, let's say you have a daughter and she's not dressing in a certain way that you would like, whatever that means for whomever, you know, whatever that means. She's not dressing in a certain way that you would prefer for her to dress. She's being herself, but she's not dressing appropriately let's just say how can you encourage her or what can you say to her or how what can you point out to her to maybe for her to try to make herself reevaluate the way that she's presenting herself so that is a great question and and people who are much greater than i am have have addressed the issue in lanias daiti like in my personal opinion and and based on the guidance that i've received when i've asked that question um I think that the answer is just to love them and to make them understand how much you value and appreciate and recognize their, their great traits. And it comes, if they see themselves as people who are very, people who are very worthy, then they won't feel as much of a need to get attention through you know, the baser ways that a lot of people in our society get attention. It's, it's when they feel that, you know, that uh, I'm not worthy of, of people's respect and this is what I need to do. Then, and, and it's a stage and a lot of kids go through it. And I think the most important thing is not to have that heart attack because you need your strong heart to get you through it. And just to say, okay, I love you. And, you know, they, they know what you want. They know what you expect. You know, I, I, I listened to this parenting guy once. It was a great my, my husband brought home this um, parenting tape and, you know, we're both educators and sometimes it's hard to say, okay, let me see how I'm supposed to be parenting my kids. But he said, when, when was the last time you had a conversation with your teenager and you went on and on and explained and articulated and blah, 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 blah. And your child then looked at you and said, wow, I never thought of it that way. Thank you for sharing that perspective. And he's like, it never happens because your child tunes out at the first sentence. They're not listening to you. You're doing that speech for yourself. Right. You know, and just the concept of really connecting with them. They don't need to hear your speech about sneeze. They can do the speech. They can give that speech about sneeze. Yes. So I hope I that think you hit the nail right on the head. Like they really, if you love them and you make them feel worthy and no matter what, I think that eventually over time, maybe even over a lot of time, depending on the, on the child and on the parent, um, hopefully they'll come to see that the way they present themselves should 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 convey to the world how they feel about themselves and they, that they feel good about themselves and that they value themselves. So I think you hit the nail on the head. Thank you. That was really helpful. Thank you. Sure, sure. <laughs> and thank you so much, Rabbits and Leah, for taking the time to join us on America's Top Rabbitsons. May this class be for Rafua Shalema, for Lior Tovia Ben Haya Ashna, and also for Havalea Bat Gittel. Thank you so, so much. Amazing. Pleasure. Thanks for having me on.